You are now listening to The Shyest Podcast, when millions of opinions just aren't enough. NFL's free agency period doesn't officially open until March 16th, but there have already been a number of big moves as contenders play roster roulette. Hello everyone. I'm back a little bit sooner than anticipated because the... NFL offseason has just been so juicy already that I couldn't stay away. Uh, we are repurposing the music for our Pick'em show. Uh, we're going to find some new music if we're going to continue to do some offseason stuff, which we probably will. So uh, look forward to that. But in the meantime, I am joined today by the host of the Let It Ride podcast, Jeff Hooks, ladies and gentlemen. All right, welcome, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Absolutely, glad to be here. Uh, so you are the host of the Let It Ride podcast. We became cordial on Twitter, probably through Zeke or Patriot Girl or something like that. Uh, and we had a little friendly bet on the MVP race. <laughs> yes, we did. With Aaron Rodgers. And you rightfully backed Aaron Rodgers. He was the favorite to win. And, hey, I took the odds uh, on anybody else but Rodgers. So I liked my odds there, too. But uh, I did lose that bet. I still don't think he was the MVP. Uh, it's it's really become a quarterback award. Uh, obviously, if you, gave a, if you gave the award out for the entire season, it would have gone to Cooper Cup, considering that he ended the season with the Super Bowl MVP and, and all that good stuff. But it's become a quarterback award. It's almost impossible for anybody else to win it. Yeah, 100%. Um, so why don't you tell me a little bit about how you got into podcasting and where you got the idea for your show and why is it titled the way it is? So I got into it basically uh, the shutdown. Um, I work in the entertainment industry. We do concerts and sporting events and things of that nature. And obviously uh, a couple of marches ago, all of that went away and I had a lot of free time at the house and I've always been into sports and my wife told me, you know, you're really good at talking about things like that. You have a lot of predictions that come true. Why don't you start recording some of it and make a podcast? And uh, it started in my garage and uh, it's, it's grown. It started out with just a couple of my friends now uh, over 2000 followers on Twitter and uh, it's really becoming something. Uh, the let it ride podcast. It became that basically because uh, most of the what I talked about ended up being gambling. So giving out picks, stuff like that, yeah. that became my go-to, my bread and butter. So uh, before that, it was just called the Jeff Hooks podcast. Didn't have a ring to it. Everyone sees that. They're like, no one has any idea who Jeff Hooks is. But the Let It Ride podcast definitely has more of a ring to it. It's a good name, though. I think so, too. I, I enjoy it. Uh, I had another idea, like uh, trying to get like picks, parlays, like have some kind of play on words with gambling. But Let It Ride, I mean, that's just the the go-to quote for any gambler man just let it ride so I, I think it's a great name too yeah and jeff hooks is a strong name too but yeah like you said there's no brand recognition there when you start from scratch so i understand and i was actually listening i think it was the most recent episode that you published uh i could be wrong but it was end of february does that sound right 
Um, so I did an NBA episode uh, recently, and then I posted one about a week ago on the QD Carousel with gotcha, uh, my yeah. co-host. That's the one that I was listening to. And since some news has hit, uh, transpired since then, uh, I think let's start with Carson Wentz going to Washington since uh, I kind of got into a discussion with somebody else on Twitter on one of your posts uh, who was adamantly opposed to Carson Wentz uh, being the best available choice for Washington at the time. And, you know, you and I were both like, hey, you know, Wentz is not uh, a terrible option. I think you probably put him a little higher than I did. I said he's a good uh, stopgap measure this year while they try to figure out uh, what's going on. So ultimately, like, what are your thoughts on the expectations for Wentz in Washington? And, you know, what what would be considered success for him personally uh, versus like organizationally for the commanders? Well, I actually live uh, in Washington, D.C., work and live in Washington, D.C. So to uh, a lot of the fans around here are unhappy with the signing. I'm actually a Cowboys fan uh, in yeah. D.C., and I'm to me, I think the team got unequivocally better. Obviously, he is an upgrade over Taylor Heineke. People love to say that, oh, he's this interception-throwing machine, and I think that's mainly because a lot of people fall victim to this. You, f- you just remember the last thing that you saw, and the last thing that people saw was him just crapping the bed against the Jacksonville Jaguars. But when you look at another trade that just happened in Russell Wilson that everybody is lauding the Denver Broncos for, Russell Wilson had a slightly higher interception rate than Carson Wentz did last year. So I think a lot of people are just piling on Carson Wentz because he had that one bad game against Jacksonville. I think the signing, or excuse me, I think the trade was an overall win for Washington. And I think they have realistic playoff aspirations uh, with Carson Wentz as their quarterback. Terry McLaurin has never had a quarterback to the level of Carson Wentz and on the same coin, Carson Wentz has never had a receiver as good as Terry McLaurin, so I think it could be a successful marriage here in Washington. It definitely could be. Wentz, uh, I think you guys talked about it on the show that I listened to. Uh, he likes to throw the ball downfield, uh, so that's going to be a good matchup. They still have Samuel there as well, right? Uh, is Logan Thomas staying around in Washington? Uh, he he is coming off a torn ACL. I doubt yeah. that he'll be ready to start the season, but he could certainly add to that offense if he is able to come back for sure. Uh, is there a, a guy in the draft or that you saw at the combine that you think fits Washington's scheme well? Uh, because there was guys putting up like tons of f- sub four four numbers, so there's a lot of burners in the draft. Uh, and if you can get someone to stretch the field, that's going to open up a lot of options uh, for that Washington offense. Uh, no doubt. Uh, my favorite receiver in this draft, unfortunately, was Jamison Williams, and I think he would have been a great fit for Washington. And at this point, they could probably still get him uh, later in the draft, even if they, if they were to trade back. I think he is hands down the best receiving prospect in this class, and you might not get him for this first season, but down the road, I think he definitely could be a good option here in Washington. Okay. Uh, and I, I believe Carson Wentz finished last season with 3,500 yards, 27 touchdowns, seven picks. A handful of fumbles as well. Um, and I don't think, you know, like you said, people remember like the last thing they see and like, you know, playoffs were on the table for them against Jacksonville. But you look historically at how they play against Jacksonville, like they just don't win in Jacksonville, regardless of it's Wentz, Rivers, uh, who was it before that? Uh, why can I not think of his name? Jacoby Brissett. Whoever goes into Jacksonville as the quarterback for the Colts just doesn't win. I don't know what it is about Jacksonville. It's, you know, they just have their number when uh, they're at home in Florida. So I think 
at least me personally, like I've never been a huge fan of Carson Wentz, but it is kind of like we're in a position right now in the league where it's like either you're an elite quarterback and you're getting elite quarterback money or you're garbage. Like there's not a lot of, I guess, fan support for guys that are in between. Like uh, you see it a lot with Jimmy Garoppolo as well. And we'll get to him in a second. But with Wentz, it's not so much that he threw a ton of interceptions. It was the kinds of mistakes that he made. Like you talked about on the show last week as well, the the play against the Titans where they were, he's at his own goal line. He puts the ball in his left hand and tries to throw something away rather than just take the safety and take the two. And then they end up going down the field and tying the game with a touchdown. So it's like that was a winnable game with the field goal, even after the safety he just needs to be smarter and he got in the habit of like, you know, just making bad decisions in Philly, trying to force things. And it just hasn't really gotten away from him. And he was more responsible with it. But I think you saw in the Tampa game as well, like he was having a great game. And all of a sudden it was like in the second half, you need to run the ball. And they just kind of just kept putting the ball in Wentz's hands and hoping that he wouldn't make a mistake against a really good Tampa defense. He ends up throwing a pick, I think two picks and fumbles. They end up losing that game. That's another one of those games that keeps the Colts out of the playoffs there. So I, I get people saying like, oh, maybe he's not the guy to like be your franchise quarterback to take you to a Super Bowl maybe, but he's a, a huge upgrade from Taylor Heineke, who's still, albeit a young player who doesn't have a ton of experience, but I, I think Wentz is substantially better. And I mean, you know, as a Cowboys fan, that division isn't the strongest. So the door to the playoffs is open for them. Absolutely. I, I am afraid of, as a Cowboys fan, I am afraid of Washington this year. And what you said about Wentz is spot on. That has always been his bugaboo for his entire career. He can never just throw the ball away or take the safe play. He always tries to do too much. And there are times where he can kind of dumb that down and, and just play safe, conservative football. But then it always seems to rear its ugly head in those killer moments like you were talking about uh, with the pick six against the Titans and then in a huge game against Jacksonville. It might just be something about the state of Florida, too, by the way, because Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, has also struggled with those late games down in Florida, uh, in Miami. So maybe it's just something about going down to Florida uh, in the winter that uh, it, that just gets to these quarterbacks' heads. It could be. It's like, hey, that's just a game on the schedule that we don't like to see, and we're not interested in this game. Like, I mean, the Bills, you know, they went into Jacksonville and lost as well. Yep. And I think part of it probably is because you look at a team like Jacksonville, it's like this isn't a team that's really capable of beating us. So you're looking at your schedule and it's like, all right, we're kind of, we shouldn't be, but we're thinking about the next one and you're not preparing for what's in front of you. And that Jags team is like, look, we're going to win one game. So we're going to make sure that we give our best effort in all of our highest profile games. So it's a combination of some things, but uh, you know, the Jags are an interesting team, but maybe we'll talk about them another time uh, for now. We were talking about Jimmy G. Do you see him staying in San Francisco? Or is it a time for Sir Lancelot? I, I honestly think that they have to move on to Trey Lance just because of how much they gave up. If it's not Trey Lance, I think it's going to be Tom Brady. I think that the reason that Rob Gronkowski hasn't retired yet, I think, is because he's waiting to see what Tom does. And if Tom does decide to play, I think it's going to be in San Francisco. I think the most uh, – spot that makes the most sense for Jimmy G to me is the Colts. The Colts should, wouldn't have traded their quarterback if they didn't have a contingency plan. You don't quit your job if you don't have another one lined up. I think they had a Jimmy G trade lined up, and that is why they moved on from Carson Wentz. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and Jimmy would plug pretty well into what the Colts do. Similar to the Niners in that they want to be a run identity team, and they play defense, and they're not asking 
the quarterback to necessarily win a ton of games, uh, just like with his arm alone. And I think Jimmy, he threw more picks, but he has a tendency to at least appear more responsible. And clearly the 49ers as a team, like they love him. They rallied behind him, no matter how dire the situation was, no matter how poor he was playing, like they never stopped believing in him. And that says a lot about leadership and the quarterback position in general, because he's maybe not the most talented guy at the position, but somehow like he still rallies the team. He still gets them to play the way they need to play to give them a chance to win. And you saw like Debo Samuel is like very adamant that like, this is our guy and we believe in him. So, you know, I think there's value there. And if he can bring that to the Colts organization, we could see them look maybe similar to what they did with Phillip rivers under center. I could definitely see that. It's almost like a breakup. You tend to go with somebody who's the complete opposite of whoever you just broke up with. And that is what Jimmy G is. Granted, they're maybe stylistically, they're not exactly polar opposites. But as far as what Carson Wentz lacks, it's that confidence that Jimmy G brings. And Carson Wentz might be the more, more skilled quarterback. But as you said, Jimmy G just has that confidence and that leadership ability. Uh, and you can carry that to a Super Bowl. Look what uh, Joe Burrow just did with Cincinnati. I don't think there's any denying that he doesn't have the talent that a Josh Allen or a Justin Herbert or a, jo or a Patrick Mahomes has, but he has that it factor. He has those intangibles that you just can't measure. I think Jimmy G does have a measure of that as well. He does. He's had a lot of playoff success. His, you know, the team has a pretty solid winning percentage uh, when he's under center. Uh, he's played in a Super Bowl. So he's got all the kind of things you would want to bring into a team that is looking to like find their identity Whereas like the Niners have their identity now and they're looking for now the quarterback to take them to the next level. And they were kind of like in this similar position with Alex Smith having Kaepernick behind him not all that long ago. So here we are again with the 49ers. My brother is a huge Niners fan and he's just waiting for the, the shoe to drop on the Jimmy G deal. Uh, he's looking for whatever compensation they can get from him before uh, the quarterback market changes here quickly. And, you know, with that, I think we'll... We'll move on to Russell Wilson uh, because during the many, many drought years of being a Bills fan, uh, we had great players. And one of those great players was Marshawn Lynch. And he was released from the team for some offseason reasons. And he ends up in Seattle. And at the time, like, this is my favorite player in the league. And I'm horribly upset with the Bills for releasing him. So I'm like, all right, well, I guess I got to start watching the Seahawks now. And a couple years later, Russell Wilson comes along. And so... You know, I've got a soft spot for Seattle that I've carried for a long time. But basically, all my favorite players from that team are gone now, including Bobby Wagner, who just got released. But Doug Baldwin retired a couple of years ago. And so it was like, all right, I'm not really attached to this team in the way that I was. But basically, my timeline has been filled with Broncos fans like still today. Like, I can't believe this is real, that we have Russell Wilson. It's not a dream. Russell Wilson's our quarterback. And yes, he's a huge upgrade. But is he the guy to take this Broncos team to a Super Bowl? I don't think so. I'm actually a lot lower on this trade than most people are. I kind of think Russell Wilson was like the silver medal. Because if you notice, this trade did not go down until Aaron Rodgers decided to re-sign in Green Bay. And I think if Aaron Rodgers had gone to Denver, this was a team with Super Bowl aspirations. With Russell Wilson, I, I agree. I think they're a better team, but they're not the best team in their division. I think they're a five, maybe six seed at best. If you look at Russell Wilson, too, his last couple of years, he has not been the Russell Wilson of old. You can sit here and say, oh, he's going to be great in Denver with those good wide receivers. He had great wide receivers in Seattle, and they still lost games. Now, when he came back from that injury, I was super high on this team. 
this was actually one of the first engagements that you and I had on Twitter. I had a yeah. tweet that said, I think Seattle's going to make the playoffs. And you were telling me to pump my brakes on it that you didn't think it was going to happen. And you turned out to be dead right. I was high on this team once he came back. And he still was not able to rally this team uh, at the end of the season when he came back. And this was after the defense stepped up in a big way to start playing well down the stretch. So I'm, uh, I think they may be sneak into the playoffs, but I don't think that they are a Super Bowl contender with Russell Wilson. That's fair. I mean, you've got to think that the Chargers are going to theoretically fix some of the mistakes that they had this last year, and they're going to be the number two seed in that division. Uh, like, you know, that was the Raiders, I think, were still a 10-win team. So it's like there's still something to contend with. So there's no guarantees that the Broncos, like, leapfrog all the way to first. Of course, absolutely not. And when talking about uh, Seattle, it was just – you know, I saw how bad that finger was, like when it happened and the kind of surgery it required. And the the answer that Pete Carroll gave about Russell Wilson being, being one of the game's great healers, I was like, this is the most like empty bullshit answer that he could possibly <laughs> give. And they rushed him back because they still had playoff hopes. I mean, they were 12 and four last year and they, you know, they lost at home in the first round. Um, so they still had those hopes that like were that kind of team. And I thought their 12 and four was a little bit of fool's goal because they lost some games that they shouldn't have lost at home last season. I think they lost to the Giants at home. And I was like, eh, that's the kind of game that scares me in terms of like who they're going to play in the playoffs. But anyway, Russell Wilson coming back from this injury, he came back way too soon. It was like, this is a six week kind of injury and he's coming back after three weeks and he's just going to like force it. And you could tell that his finger was messed up uh, and he didn't have the right kind of delivery on his ball when he came back and it was like honestly they were better off with geno smith for like two or three more weeks maybe win one of those games it's like i get that geno had the turnovers late in some of those games but like they were close in all those games that like they got shut out for the first time when russell wilson came back so i just think seattle probably would have been where philly was in that last uh wild card spot not the last one but with that kind of like nine and eight record barely sneaking in had they just waited and let you know the chips fall where they were going to fall but they the, they had the kind of like the time is now mentality with russell wilson knowing that he was seeking a trade maybe and that like all the rumors were happening in the offseason i think they felt that they needed to get to the playoffs to try and convince him to stay and i mean now we're in a position where he accepted this deal i like i like denver's receiving core honestly i mean it's going to be good for him but we've seen with Drew Brees, we've seen it with Kyler Murray, with Russell Wilson. Like, there's a reason that prototypical quarterbacks in the league are in like the 6'3, 6'4 range. Because it is hard to throw over the offensive line when you're a guy that's less than six feet tall. And you have to have excellent protection. Not only just good protection, you have to have good uh, scheme blocking so that these guys can see the throwing lanes. And as Seattle has struggled to maintain an offensive line, Russell Wilson you know, has had moments where it's like he starts off the season really good. He was, I think, the MVP front runner, not this most recent season, but two years ago. First half of the season, it was all let Russ cook, let Russ cook. Second half of the season, they're throwing the ball all the time, and he's making bad decisions. So it's, you know, I still believe Russell Wilson is one of the better quarterbacks in this league, but it's it's possible that his best days are behind him, and I think that conversation is just kicked kick the can a little bit further down the road like he's still like fairly young by today's quarterback standards uh but we'll see i think i think he has the potential to have success but i think they traded for him in like the last year of his deal too so there's a possibility that hey things don't work out in denver and he's moving on 
after this season as well. So it'd be interesting to see how that all shakes out. Yeah, and he definitely chose Denver too. Uh, yeah. Washington also put an offer in for him. He had a no trade clause, so he was able to pretty yeah. much choose his destination. And there is a scenario where this blows up in my face, and I look dead wrong for saying that this is a bad move because that Denver defense is is really really good. Justin Simmons, obviously Pat Sertain, um, Von Miller has talked about going back to Denver. You still have Bradley Chubb there. There's some pieces there, and as you you already talked about their receiving core. Jerry Judy, uh, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick. There's a world where Denver can definitely contend. But as you said, I think Russell Wilson's best days are behind him as well. You see a smaller quarterback like Drew Brees that's able to have an extended career because he doesn't rely on his arm strength as much as a guy like Wilson does. He relies on those check downs, those short passes. Russell Wilson doesn't have that kind of short accuracy. He relies more on the deep ball. And as you get older, I mean, I don't know about you. I'm 35 years old. I definitely can't do the things that I could do in my 20s. I, I Granted, I'm not a world-class athlete, but there's no denying that the, that your athleticism starts going down at this point in your life uh, that Russell Wilson is getting to. For sure. I'm 37. I came back from vacation and went and played basketball in my rec league, and I only played for five minutes, and I was sore all week. I was like, <laughs> oh, man, it's it's been a while since I've been out on that floor. And so just like, yeah, the constant wear and tear. And, I mean, Russ has been the guy who's – I think he's only been like seriously hurt twice but one of them he played through he got it was a back against the st louis rams still he aaron donald got him and like tweaked his ankle but he played through that and didn't miss any time and then it was the finger injury just recently so yeah like he's been an iron man since he got drafted in what 2013 so he's coming into his ninth season now 10th season uh it it, it takes its toll and does denver have the offensive line to make life easy on him i don't know we'll see it like they looked good early against bad teams and then as the competition ratcheted up they didn't look so good uh and teddy bridgewater has shown that he's a capable quarterback in the right circumstances so i don't think it was like all on bridgewater either denver's still a fairly young team with a lot of young talent uh so at least in that regard like say russ you know signs an extension here once the season starts going and his plan is to be with them long term they have a lot of youth at their disposal for a while so he'll be in a good position you know the chiefs are most likely going to probably win that division again but maybe the chiefs time is dwindling as well but they will always have patrick mahomes under center well at least for the next decade so they're gonna they're gonna have a chance and then we'll see how things shake out and one more thing on Wilson, mm -hmm. too. Uh, a lot of his success was based on him not necessarily running the ball. That was part of it, but just able to create time in the pocket, able to evade defenders. I remember a specific game against the Cowboys where he it seemed like he was in the pocket for 18 to 20 seconds, and he ended up having Tyler Lockett break deep downfield. And I'm just like, man, you just cannot tackle this guy. And I think as he's gotten older, he, he have seen that leave his game. He doesn't have that aspect anymore. And I think that was a big part of his success early on in his career. Yeah, it was a lot of Sandlot football. And also, I think one of the under, well, maybe one of the overlooked uh, things in his early success is he would just take the running yardage early. Like, now he's kind of like, I'm going to sit here and like wait for the play to develop and maybe end up getting sacked as a result. Whereas a lot of the times earlier in his career, he'd break that pocket and he's like, all right, I'll just take the four or five and get out of bounds and we'll just keep the chains moving. And you know, now that's not really happening as much. He's looking for the home run ball down the field. And then he does have great deep ball accuracy. I mean, I think up until this last season, he was the best deep ball thrower in the league for many years. But also, if you go back to since he started playing in the league, 
I think it's 2013 was his draft year, 2012. He's the most sack quarterback in the league as well. So it's like, you know, it's a it's a double-edged sword when you play around in the backfield with all these good athletes out there. It's like, yeah, you can maybe make that first guy miss, but the longer you try to extend the play, like you're going to give other guys a shot at getting that sack. Plus his big contract and the offensive line falling apart in the Max Unger deal to get Jimmy Graham. So many different things just added up, but, you know, sacks are quarterback responsibility at the end of the day and he's had a lot of them so hopefully denver can protect them and if they do they'll have a good chance if they don't then you know we'll be sitting here at the end of next season being like all right maybe it wasn't worth giving up so much to get russell wilson it's definitely they went all in for him and with good reason it's a copycat league we just saw two teams acquire quarterbacks in the offseason and win super bowls denver's going for that i get what they're doing i'm just not sure that they're going to have the same result as the Bucks did with Brady and as the Rams just did with Stafford. That's true. Brady was able to attract a lot of other talent. Plus the Bucks already had uh, most of their defensive pieces in place. Uh, and they have the kind of like linebacker core that makes them very tough to deal with when they're all healthy. Uh, so we'll just have to wait and see, but I, I was sad to see Bobby Wagner go, but I think when I first got back from vacation, it was like first, uh it was like two three weeks ago maybe i did a show and i was like if i have a dream move that can happen for the bills in the offseason it's that bobby wagner somehow signs with the bills and it's like i knew his contract was big i knew that russ was in talks to get traded and maybe that bobby had seen his last day if russ leaves so i put it out there and now bobby's a free agent he's probably not going to end up on the bills because he's so expensive but this idea that like a lot of bills fans don't want him yeah, that's to odd to me. That's odd to me. I think a really good landing spot could be Denver. We talked about the, the yeah. pieces they have in the secondary with Sertain and Callahan. The one weak spot they have is a linebacker. There's a good chance Bobby Wagner could follow Russell Wilson to Denver. Be a good landing spot for him as well. Yeah, he would also fit the Ravens really well. I don't want him on the Ravens, but... No, good he, linebackers always fit well in the Ravens. Exactly. He would just be like Ray Lewis all over again on that team. And, uh, you know, the Ravens, their defense is going to be healthy again next year. Uh, they're going to be interesting to watch. So they're, they still need to make some moves, though. But they're going to be fun. And I hope Bobby doesn't go there. I really don't want him to go to the Rams either, even though I'm in L.A. I'm not, I'm not like the biggest Rams fan. I never have been. Like, I, I you know, Sammy Watkins came from Buffalo to L.A. Uh, Robert Woods. I still love Robert Woods. He came from Buffalo to L.A. So it's like there was some connective tissue there. And then this last season, it's like, you know, Sammy left a couple years ago. Robert Woods is hurt. So I'm like, eh, Todd Gurley's gone. Like, the team that I liked that sucked and then got good isn't that same Rams team anymore. So right. I'm like, this is the Rams team that, like, wanted to buy their championship. It's like, I don't really want to be a fan of that. I get it. Like, you're in L.A. You have to win soon in order to, like, make sure that, like, you secure your fan base for the future after this very expensive move to bring the team here. But it's, it's not my style of football i like what the bills are doing right now with like development draft sure. free agency like the long haul but if the bills want to go all in and win a super bowl this year and then suck for 10 more years like i'll take the super bowl in, you know yeah so once I you win it. a title you don't have to <laughs> apologize for anything it, it's all worth it if you win the title uh another la team the lakers are dealing with that at, with that as well they got their title so everything else that happens after it you just kind of got to live with yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, we're going to be bad for a little bit, but then, you know, once a decade, we're going to get that championship and you guys will love us for the next 10 years while we suck. Yep. Uh, what What's the other big news? Uh, who's the... Oh, I wanted to talk to you about Mitch Trubisky because obviously I'm a Bills fan. I've seen Mitch play. Uh, it looks like he's probably going to get a starting job here somewhere. I've said 
on Twitter many times, like if he wants to get that starting job, like uh, I don't begrudge him taking it. Of course, this is this is a league where you want to start a quarterback and he probably believes that he can do it. I'm curious as to what people have seen from him this past season that makes them think that he's a starter in this league right now when he wasn't able to get a starting job this past season before. Yeah, I don't really see Mitch Trubisky uh, being a starting quarterback. I more put him in a boat with guys like a Marcus Mariota, somebody that you sign when you draft a rookie uh, just to compete for the starting job. I really don't think Mitchell Trubisky could be uh, in line for a starting job. I'd lean more to a guy like Garner Minshew getting traded from Philadelphia before I'd go for Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, Minshew's interesting because he's had good moments, but he's also had really bad moments. Uh, I think he lost his starting job. Who was, who was backing him up in uh... – Jacksonville, Jacksonville at the time. Oh, was it Glennon? Glennon or Chad Henney, one of those one of those guys that that's just never just had a flash in the pan type of season. But he had a good rookie season, and he's never really had talent around him either. And he had one start with the Eagles last year. Granted, it was against the Jets, but he looked fantastic in he it. Did, so yeah. I really think a, a team like the Steelers, who uh, is hurting for cap space, having a, a quarterback at a million dollars could really help them. Uh, they clearly don't want to move forward with Mason Rudolph. So I think the Steelers would be a perfect landing spot uh, for Minshew. I know I saw videos of Mason Rudolph uh, like training on Instagram or something. And I was like, oh, this isn't the most promising video. <laughs> like if you're trying to up your stock as the starter, like this isn't what you want to be showing people. Uh, I mean, at least Cam Newton was like when he's doing his workout videos in the offseason, he's not throwing a football. He's just in the gym like <laughs> lifting. He's like, I'm going to be huge. <laughs> oh, this guy looks yeah. great <laughs> without the football. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, you're a Cowboys fan. Mm-hmm. So are you from Texas? No, uh, my mother was a Cowboys fan. I was born and raised in the Maryland, D.C. area. My mother was a Cowboys fan, and just I just kind of globbed on with her. All right, so let's talk Cowboys for a minute. What the hell is going on with the Cowboys? Uh, they, their cap situation is just <laughs> so screwed, and it always is. They overpay for these guys, and the Amari Cooper thing is really upsetting because you traded a first-round pick for the guy, then gave him a big contract just to now saying that you're going to release, release him or try to trade him. What's really upsetting is that that first-round pick could have been used to select a guy like Debo Samuel was available in the draft at that point. So it's really upsetting. Um, You could have had a guy like that. Instead, you had a couple of years of Amari Cooper. I get the reasoning behind it. You're saving probably $7 million going with Gallup instead of of Cooper. So I get it. But it doesn't mean I have to be happy about it. Uh, There's there's no more room in this receiving core. So you had to move on from one of them. I get it. Uh, CeeDee Lamb. His development will be better if he is the true number one. He was never going to be that with Amari Cooper here. Um, I hope the best for Amari Cooper. I hope he lands on his feet somewhere, preferably not in the NFC. Uh, I think maybe the Colts would be a good team for him to go to. Uh, they definitely need a number one weapon there. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how angry he is at Dallas because he'd be an interesting fit on uh, Washington. but Or, or Philadelphia at that point. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Jalen Hurts could use some help over there. Uh, Amari's a great receiver, though. Like, Dallas was unquestionably a better team when he was healthy and on the field for them. Uh, Why did they – why do you think they franchised Dalton Schultz? Well, Dalton Schultz was actually right behind Amari Cooper. He just one less target. CeeDee Lamb was our most targeted receiver. Dalton Schultz was second and just one target behind Amari Cooper. He was a a lot bigger part of our offense than I think most people realize. Obviously, when you – had a guy like Jason Witten there for years. That tight end position is huge uh, for a guy like Dak Prescott. So I, I actually did like to move to, sh- uh, to franchise Dalton Schultz. The, the tag number for tight ends is fairly low, so it doesn't affect the cap too much. I thought it was a pretty good move. Okay, but why not? I mean, if he's 
like like you said, Jason Witten was such a big part of this offense for so long. I mean, especially in Dak Prescott's development as well. So you want to have that safety net at tight end. Why not just extend him and pay him a deal that's a little bit backloaded for a couple of seasons rather than franchise him? And that, that's something that they could still definitely do. Obviously, that franchise tag could just be a placeholder. But you're looking at a team that has just signed so many bad contracts. We're, we're getting off of two of them now into Marcus Lawrence and Amari Cooper, uh, just adding another one to that. Now, I, I've also heard that they're trying to trade Leo Collins, who they signed to a big deal, too. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just you can't compound these mistakes that they're making with the cap. So I think it's the franchise tag is more of just a placeholder. Let's see where we're at. Maybe he plays the season on it. And we resign him next year. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. Okay, and what about Zeke's future? Is he is he done? I don't think he's done. Um, I'm higher on Zeke than a lot of people as far as just as a football player goes. I don't think mm-hmm. people realize what he does in pass protection. Um, a lot of Cowboys fans are saying, oh, Tony Pollard should be getting the carries. Like, Tony Pollard can't pass protect in the way that Ezekiel Elliott can. And I know you're not signing an offensive lineman. I get that. You can have Kyle Juszczyk if you want a pass protector and not pay him uh, $18, $20 million a year. But I think Zeke should have a bounce back year next year. I think you'll see him back in the RB1 discussion as far as fantasy football goes. Um, obviously, no running back is going to be worth what his cap figure is. But I, I, don't, I don't think it's a stretch to say that he's done at this point. Yeah, okay, that's fair. I mean, his production is still not bad. I think he was still close to like four yards a carry. It's just that that position demands so much. Mm-hmm. And having a guy like Pollard obviously was valuable to Dallas. Uh, it takes some pressure off of Zeke in that passing game. So it's not like he has to touch the ball 30 times a game for them to be successful. But you have to find this balance where, you know, Prescott has been good. Is he is he worth the contract that they gave him? I mean, that's I think that ultimately becomes the question is like, if this is going to be Dak Prescott's team, and they want him to throw for like 4,000 yards and 35 touchdowns a season, then the cap number for a guy like Zeke starts to be a little bit more in question because it's like, what is our team identity? It was definitely Zeke's team before that contract was signed for Dak. And then, you know, Dak gets hurt. I get that, you know, Dak's got a good agent, wants to get him his paycheck, of course, like no problems there. But now what is the identity of the Cowboys? Because the defense finally got retooled a little bit. Uh... They still gave up some big plays, but like massive improvement from what they were. I think, what were they, 12 and 5 or something this past season? So, yeah, a, a huge improvement. Uh, I think they finally became the team that Jerry Jones thought they were going to be like four seasons ago. It was like this team that like legitimately is going to be in the conversation for like maybe the number one seed. They're going to possibly go deep in the playoffs. Like this I- identity that they wanted for the Cowboys at the beginning of Dak's run is now where they finally are and now it's like you're losing cooper you know the cap is gonna really bite them in the ass so is it sustainable to have zeke and dak long term is like is that what's going to be the identity that gets them to the super bowl well at this point uh jerry jones and the cowboys have they've made their bed and they have to lie in it um you can't get no one's going to trade for that for that contract from zeke so you pretty much have to roll with what you got. Um, luckily for them, they drafted Micah Parsons, who's the, yeah. the best defensive prospect, people say, since Lawrence Taylor. And you talked about the defensive turnaround by the Cowboys. It was 100% on Micah Parsons. I know that uh, Diggs got a lot of credit for his interceptions, but the biggest part of that turnaround was 100% Micah Parsons. And I think that is going to be the identity of this team, is having him as the cornerstone of that defense, much like Aaron Donald was for the Rams for years. I think you're going to see Micah Parsons be that, be that for the Cowboys. 
The cap may be in shambles, but at least we have one of the best defensive players in the league on a rookie contract for the next five years, for the next four years, excuse me. Yeah. What is their draft situation looking like this season? I am really, really hoping to see uh, Tyler Linderbaum fall in the draft to us. I believe we're picking 24. Um, I'm not holding my breath. I see a lot of mocks having him go top 15, but you talked about the, the identity with the Cowboys. It, a lot of it really came from that offensive line and Travis yeah. Frederick retiring was huge. And we've been yep. missing that captain of the offensive line for years. And uh, Tyler Biotich is okay. I think we tried to recreate like, Oh, we'll draft a Wisconsin center, just like Travis Frederick and try to move on. He is not that kind of guy. Tyler Linderbaum absolutely is that kind of guy. If it means trading up in the draft to get him, I wouldn't mind seeing us do that. All right. Yeah. A lot of teams kind of, I think a lot of people in general just don't, value the center position the way it is i mean because it's like everyone talks about offensive line but it's like the center is the quarterback of the offensive line this is the guy who's communicating every, everything to the rest of the o-line he's the guy who's got his hand on the ball uh so you need a guy who's smart and you saw i think a good example of it was like how much ryan jensen grew working with tom brady he went from like early in the season with brady i was like mm, this guy's not he's not there yet and then by the end of the season it's like he's arguably one of the best centers in football and same thing going into this past season so very interesting uh i'm curious to see what the bills want to do with their offensive line because it just came out yesterday john feliciano got released uh and he had just been re-signed to a three-year deal the year before so that means uh the hammer is probably going to come down on daryl williams who i think was also in that same re-sign category as feliciano uh, and Feliciano had dropped down to like third string by the time the end of the season was over. So, you know, the bills are over the cap. I totally understand that. Uh, and at this point, like Mitch Morse, good center that the bills were able to get from uh, Kansas city a few years ago has changed the way that the bills offensive line has been. And like, they've struggled, but it's been much better over the last five years than it was the 10 years prior. So extending Mitch Morse makes a lot of sense, but I don't know. The bills, the bills are in a lot of, a lot more cap trouble than I expected, considering the cap went up like $25 million. These these kind of like backloaded contracts they signed have kind of bitten them in the ass. Like they're looking, maybe Cole Beasley is going to be a cap casualty as well. They have gave him permission to seek a trade, but at $10 million and him being 32, I don't know. I don't know what kind of deal they can make work for Beasley right now. So maybe he ends up getting cut. I mean, maybe you could get like a maybe like a third or fourth round pick for Beasley. He's a good player. He's a big part of the offense. But at this point, like I'll bring John Brown back on a veterans minimum because John Brown was a cap casualty two seasons ago. And then he hasn't been able to fit in anywhere. He knows the offense. He knows Josh Allen and you can get him for super cheap right now. So shit might as well. Yeah, uh, luckily for you, Josh Allen just is going to cover a lot of warts. If you have a guy like that, you can survive some of these things that you're talking about. You can survive a couple of below-average offensive linemen. You can make uh, a guy like Gabe Davis look like a star. I'm not saying that Gabe Davis is, doesn't have potential, but he's you know 200 yards and four touchdowns in a playoff game. A lot of that was to do with Josh Allen. So I definitely think you cover a lot of warts with a guy like that. Yeah, I like Gabe. Uh it was interesting like they went and brought in Emmanuel Sanders and I'm not against the Emmanuel Sanders move like I love Emmanuel Sanders and he had his moments but it did eat a lot of Gabe Davis's snaps and so you didn't see the same kind of production but by the time that Sanders had gotten hurt I want to say like week 12-ish he was out for about a month Gabe Davis came in and like all of a sudden his production was right there again like his yards per catch were among the best on the team you know this guy's got great hands he's big speed like 
he's he's the right kind of receiver that you want for that offense. And I think he scored on the in the first game of the season as well. And one of their own, I think it was their only touchdown in that game against Pittsburgh was to Davis. And then it was like, all right, well, we're just going to try and work Sanders in here. And so you kind of like uh, you handicapped his development a little bit. So I was happy to see him break out in the playoffs. But yes, the Chiefs were dedicating their resources to basically guarding everybody but Gabe Davis. So if you're going to give him some one on ones with that kind of speed and hands and then Allen's going to make you pay for it. So like you said, Josh Allen is going to be the cornerstone of that team for the next decade and he's going to allow them to get away with some issues that they're going to have. But a lot of their issues this last season, at least struggling mid season was protections. Uh, they were having a lot of issues on the offensive line. They finally found their formula for the offensive line with uh, Rick Bates late in the season when Feliciano got dropped down to the third string. So I think they at least have that covered, but I'm looking at their, their defensive line and seeing they had like 11 defensive linemen because the idea was to like just change these guys over and like they're always going to be fresh but i don't know they had such a high pressure rating but they you know they just didn't get home on the quarterback enough against good teams and it hurt them like in the playoff game against kansas city they were so close to bringing Mahomes down on like those first two drives and they just couldn't get him and it's like you saw the frustration start to boil over and then it was like yeah we're not going to get to him and then they kind of their their defensive mindset just got lost a little bit in that game, but that's not a game where the number one defense should be giving up forty two points. So, absolutely not. And then of course you see uh, Cincinnati's defense get by with a gimmick. They go to that uh, cover three cloud, dropping that defensive lineman into coverage and just putting a bunch of trash in front of Mahomes, and that ends up being what stops them that that drop eight coverage. So just seeing that gimmicky defense work against the chiefs I, i'm sure the, uh, the defensive coordinator for the bills was kicking himself seeing that like oh my god like this just seems like such like obviously hindsight being 2020 it seems like that's the way to go against Mahomes. yeah and i think a little bit more of it was that they were able to disguise the coverage like they corner blitz and then drop hendrickson on one side and so they're able to confuse Mahomes a little bit where the bills were like confident that we're just gonna like play nickel all the time and we're gonna mm-hmm. get home eventually and it was like they did get very close and if you maybe get a sack on that first possession or that second possession, you're able to get up a couple of scores, then maybe that's a different game. But, you know, it was interesting to see how Cincinnati approached it. And, you know, hey, credit to Cincinnati. They were a great uh, team when it came to second half adjustments. They did it to the Chiefs just a mm. couple weeks prior to the playoffs. I think it was like week 16 or 17 they played them, yep. and they did the same thing. Clinton so, Star Division with that win. Yeah. So I think that says a lot about Cincinnati's confidence in their personnel and their ability to adapt so if i'm looking at the bills picking up a guy like bobby wagner it's like you don't have to change to a three four just because you're adding wagner but it does allow you to play in some like three three five looks where you don't have to always be in nickel and, and that is the good thing about a guy like wagner is that he is able to play at both levels as a linebacker he can he can play the run he can drop back and play that nickel linebacker so he, it, you're not giving away what you're doing with him on the field. He can play at both levels as a linebacker. Yeah, I mean, he's maybe the best free agent linebacker to hit the market in a decade. So some team is going to score with Bobby on that team. Uh, Who's the other big free agent? Uh, I mean, another one that I'm interested in is uh, DJ Chark. He's coming off that unfortunate ankle break. Um, But he's a player that I've always liked. Uh, he's been stuck in Jacksonville. Like they're probably going to re-sign him. 
that's, that's where he was drafted. I mean, he's only like his third or fourth year, but yeah, and you definitely need, you need weapons there too. Uh, you need weapons around Lawrence too. So I, I think that's probably the best move for him would be to stay in Jacksonville. He's not going to command a high dollar from anybody. So staying where he was drafted is probably the best move. Gotcha. And so I was, I think when I did the show last time, I was talking to my brother and I was asking him like, as, as a Niner fan, like what is it like your fantasy off season move that you could make to improve your team? So I'll ask you the same thing about the Cowboys. Like what is something that you would like to see that maybe is off the radar that you want to see for them? I mean, you talked about drafting uh, that particular center if he falls to the, the pick that the Cowboys have, but in free agency, is there something that they could do that would point them in the right direction? Well, if they're able to get this cap situation figured out, obviously with uh, the release or trade of Amari Cooper, you need somebody to step up uh, in that second receiver spot because if you do resign Michael Gallup, he's not going to, he, you know, had that catastrophic injury late in the season, so he's not going to be ready to come back. Uh, So I think maybe going after a guy like a Juju Smith-Schuster, just an under-the-radar receiver, uh, maybe find a resurgence in his career in Dallas. Um, I'm not really too sold on Cedric Wilson. I think he's okay out of the slot, but as a number two receiver, I don't think he is going to be effective uh, in the Cowboys' offense. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it looks like he's going to be a cap casualty for them anyway, and I mean just in the last couple of seasons, it's like, it's hard to stay on the field with those receivers there. So, yeah, you know, it, it's tough for to him to be valued at the price that he's valued right now. Uh, yeah. Juju could be an interesting fit for them. Uh, he's got good route running. He's got good hands, solid speed. Uh, he would fit nicely with them. Yeah. He, Deontay Johnson took a lot of his thunder because Deontay Johnson just fit perfectly uh, what the Steelers were doing with that quick passing game. Juju Smith-Susser needs a little bit more time. Uh, he's great on slant routes, stuff like that. And that, Dallas, Dallas's offense, I think, is a better fit uh, than Pittsburgh was. I think he'll look a lot better uh, if he does come to Dallas than he has with Pittsburgh. Well, Dallas is definitely going to throw the ball more than Pittsburgh is. So it's going to be a favorable situation for uh, Juju if he can make that happen. No doubt. Um, so I know you're not only into football. I saw you talking. Was it college basketball or something you were watching earlier? Yeah. Uh, do you watch NBA basketball? I do. I do. Actually, I um, I work at Capital One Arena right now. I'm here. Uh, we're in between games, but I'm working the A-10 tournament here. But I also do all of the Wizards games and uh, Washington Capitals games here, too. Oh, great. So are you a Wizards fan? I am, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> they, they've had an interesting existence. Uh. Uh, that, that they have. That they have. Uh, like, you had mentioned the Lakers earlier and just kind of their their struggles right now like is it is it over for them like with this lebron team is is it going to be his last year there i i don't think it's going to be his last year there i think he wants to be in la and i kind of think that the lakers know that so i think you saw him pushing for them to trade russell westbrook at the deadline make a trade for john waller make some kind of move and i finally kind of think that the lakers stood up to lebron they're like look we know you want to be here we know you're not going to go anywhere next year so no we're not going to do that we've already completely displace the future of this team to do what you want to do we're not going to do it anymore so i think they finally took a stand and called his bluff i don't think he's going anywhere um i didn't like this trade for them from the beginning i thought the better trade would would be to give up less and get a guy like buddy healed russell westbrook was never a good fit with this team he's a guy that needs the ball in his hands he can't shoot is not a good fit with lebron uh obviously anthony davis can't stay on the floor so i i personally was never high on this team to begin with um they're probably going to lose in the play-in. Honestly, at this point, 
aside from trading Davis, I really don't see what they could do to improve that roster. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it is a very expensive team. The Lakers are always one of those teams. It's like, hey, you know what? We don't care about the salary cap. We'll we'll get into uh, what's it called the luxury tax. Like mm-hmm. we'll we'll pay it because we're the Lakers and we got money. Sure. Uh, but it's yeah, it was interesting to see like the move to get uh, Westbrook anyway because like when he went to Houston, like I don't even watch basketball that much anymore because it's like you know the same handful of teams are always good. And then like mm-hmm. this year's this year's been a, a better year. I probably should be watching this year. There's parity the this year. There's probably yeah. seven to eight teams that can win the title this year. I know. So of all the years, like this is the one to watch, and I've just been like you know out of it but seeing westbrook on houston i was like how the what is you gonna have two guys shoot the ball 90 times and like that's gonna be your formula to win so like you said he's a guy who always has to have the ball in his hands and it's not like he's a bad player but it just like the press and like just the general like fan opinion of the quality of him as a player has plummeted this season he is uh, he's in a bad he's in a terrible situation for him because he's in a city where the spotlight is on him he's overpaid and he's schematically in a bad fit. He needs to be on a team like Sacramento or like Orlando, who there's no pressure on him, and he can just do his thing, uh, have the ball, have the highest usage rate in the league, do, do his, you know, do all that good stuff, put up triple doubles. He was great when he was here. We had him here last year in Washington, and I loved having him. He brought the energy level up. Uh, he brought excitement back to this arena for the first time in a long time. As far as basketball goes, obviously we have it with with the Capitals here yeah. most games. But he brought excitement back to the Wizards for the first time in a long time. So I really appreciate what he did here. But he's, like I said, he's just in a terrible situation, at least for him in L.A. Fair enough. So who's who's the favorite right now to come out of uh, to come out of the West then, if it's not the Lakers? Probably the Suns. The Suns are a fantastic team. You have Bridges there. You have Booker, Chris Paul coming back from injury at some point. They're definitely the favorites to come out of the West. Uh, if Draymond Green is able to come back healthy, you could throw the Warriors in there as well. Uh, those are definitely the two front runners as far as the West as the West goes. The Memphis Grizzlies are making a charge right now. John Morant has thrown his name into the MVP race. Um, I think they're a little bit too young right now as far as a deep playoff run goes. I would still lean uh, more towards the Suns or the Warriors at this point for the West. All right. What about the East? Um, I'm high on the Miami Heat. A lot of people aren't as high on the Miami Heat, um, I think, because they don't watch them. I think uh, Jimmy Butler's having a great season. You have guys like Tyler Hero, uh, Bam Adebayo playing great defense. He's almost like a uh, a Kevin Garnett type, a great defender, uh, has a mid-range shot. Uh, goes after the three-point line every now and again, but not as much. Um, they shoot the lights out from three. Uh, they're a great defensive team, heat culture, all that good stuff. They're my favorite. Uh, the betting favorite, I believe, is would probably be the the Sixers or the Bucks at this point. Um, but I, I lean towards the Heat. And I'm so out of the loop. Uh, I saw James Harden is on the Sixers now. Yes, yes. Uh, I saw him funny. running. I saw him running stairs after the game wearing Sixers pants. I'm like, damn, I really don't pay attention. <laughs> yeah, that that was a big trade. Uh, ben Simmons is part of that trade as well. He's going to be. In Brooklyn, he's yet to make his debut. Uh, they're actually playing each other later today. So uh, okay, well, hey, yeah. there's a game that I want to watch that's got some storylines at least attached to it. Yeah, but there's no way Ben Simmons is going to play in that game. Uh, well, he'll no, be sitting but, uh, on the, he'll be sitting on the bench looking angry. Uh, I'm I'm not even sure he's going to be in the arena. Uh, obviously, that was where he had his downfall. He hasn't played uh, since that game seven loss where he was the main part of it uh, against the Hawks last season. So I doubt we see him even come anywhere close to that arena. All right. Interesting. Have you been following the baseball debacle 
Um, I've honestly fallen out of baseball. Um, I watched for the playoffs. I, we had the Nationals win a World Series probably here a couple years ago. That was a lot of fun. I grew up a Red Sox fan. The year before mm. that, the Red Sox won. And it was also the year that my daughter was born. So it was a lot of late nights where my wife wanted to get some sleep. Baby was up crying. So it was me and my daughter watching Red Sox games. So that was pretty cool. But that's really the last <laughs> time that I got into baseball. That's a good bonding experience. but Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's like, ultimately, like, I don't really feel bad for the players. I don't feel bad for the owners. I feel bad for the fans because people, yeah. like, the diehard baseball fans are diehard baseball fans. Like, they love baseball maybe, like, an unhealthy amount. But they're also, <laughs> they're also most of them, over 40, uh, and that's been baseball's big problem. They're not able to appeal to the younger crowd, and that's going to ultimately be their demise, I think. I think they're fighting right now, and they're turning off a lot of their fans, which they were losing in droves in the first place, and you're going to – turn your back on your fan base and, and take baseball away. And that's, I just think it's a bad move on their part. Now, granted, nobody watches baseball in the beginning of the season anyway. So maybe this isn't the worst thing in the world as long as they come back by, by June or so. Yeah. Cause it's like, you could still have over a hundred games mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, I don't think most people are going to notice a difference there. Like you yeah. said, I watch I watched the playoffs. That's the most interesting time in baseball. I feel like the coverage of the games are better during the playoffs as well. So it's like, even if you haven't been following along all season, they just do a much better job of like telling the narrative of the game during the postseason. And it it makes up for all of that baseball that I didn't watch all season long because it's like this guy's batting average in the regular season actually matters in the playoffs now where it's like, okay, this is what he did during the regular season. Like, there's enough data to accumulate to be like, oh, okay, like, this average actually makes sense over the course of these 162 games or whatever. And now let's see how that translates into playing in the postseason. But, you know, just the game in April or whatever, I'm like, why do I care? Yeah, even even like, oh, it's game 102 in August, and you're just like, it, it's so hard just to create excitement for something like that. Unless you're at the game. There's, there's nothing that replaces being at a baseball game. That's true. I went to Fenway when we... We were in Boston uh, like a couple of years ago before everything shut down. And uh, my girlfriend was graduating from college in New Hampshire. So we drove down into Boston and we I was like, what's the one thing we got to do in Boston? I was like, well, let's go to a Red Sox game. And Fenway's awesome. And like, there's you're right. There's nothing like being at like a baseball game, especially when the excitement level is high. And we just went to like a random wednesday afternoon game against the mariners and it was freezing and raining and i was like even then like fenway's an awesome stadium uh just getting to sit in there in a, a meaningless mid-season game in a sport that i don't even follow i was like this is still awesome so i think the culture of like going to baseball games is great uh and i grew up a huge baseball fan but at some point like just you know there this is the second i think work stoppage like in my lifetime as a fan of the game. So it's like, eh, like you guys are all millionaires and billionaires arguing about how many millions of dollars you want the minimum amount the owners to spend on a team to be. And it's like, look, if, if I can own the Reds and be a billionaire and still sell tickets and the fans keep showing up, like, hey, you know, that's that's good business on my part. Like, why why should i have to spend as much as these other teams to be competitive if i don't need to be competitive so this idea that the labor stoppage uh is tied to wanting a minimum salary cap is weird and but from the player's point of view it's not all millionaires like if you look at the minimum salary guy you're right look at like they're the ones that are really hurting in this 
Uh, your, your Mike Trouts, your, your guys who have these $100 million contracts, they are not going to hurt from this. It's the guy making, you know, six seven $700,000 at the end of the bench who might not have another year or two left in the majors. Those are the guys that are really missing out. That's true. But that guy's still making six figures. Yeah, fair enough. Com- comfortable <laughs> six figures. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, so they, there's already collective bargaining to cover uh, minimum contracts, right? So it's like you already have like that minimum amount guaranteed. So it's like whatever the minimum amount of contracts I have to sign to field a full team should be the minimum salary cap. And if these teams like I mean, you saw the Royals do it not that long ago where they were able to make a run to the World Series like the Braves, like they made some good free agent signings, but were ultimately well below the spending threshold of the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Dodgers and all of like the giant market teams. But there's a reason that the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Astros are all in the top six and competing for a championship every year. It's because they spend the most. So yeah, they also make the most. You look at those, those TV contracts for specifically for the Dodgers and the Yankees is just ridiculous. So they're also bringing in more money. Yes, correct. Every now and again, like you talked about, you'll have a team that just comes out of nowhere and makes a charge like, like the Royals did. The Marlins did it on two separate occasions. And after yep. both World Series titles, just completely tore the team apart. So. Yeah, that Gary Sheffield, Dontrell Willis team, yep. Craig Council. Yeah, yep. that was a good team. So I don't know, man. Like that's... That's pretty much all I wanted to talk about, but is there anything you wanted to cover while we're here? I know you said you had some Bills questions for me. I don't know. I mean, we kind of glanced off it a little bit, so. Yeah, no, I, uh, the one thing I really wanted to touch on, uh, what are your thoughts on, on the Calvin Ridley situation? Is Do you think he deserves oh, yes. a year yes. suspension? Oh, hell no. I mean, I get it. Like, you don't want to pollute the idea of, like, oh, our game is pure and free from outside influence and, like, we don't want you to look at the game and think the outcome is being decided by the referees, even though we already all know that it is. Yeah. So it's like, it just, it's a black eye for the league. And it just kind of like, you know, it makes them look like they got their hand caught in the cookie jar. So they're like, we have to really clamp down on this so that people don't question the integrity of the game. And because they want people gambling on it, but a lot less people are going to gamble on it if they think it's fixed. So they want to keep up appearances. So I know they have to like do that to Ridley, but like the double standard with what they allow in the league versus what they don't is yep. really what's coming to light. And, you know, if, if, if Ridley's going to get suspended for a year, you need to be talking about like multi-year suspensions, lifetime bans for these other things that yep. are way more egregious off the field than gambling. And like, look, did he gamble on his own team? I don't think so. Did uh, So he's not like affecting the outcome of that game. Shit. Fucking let the players gamble on whatever games they want. As long as they're not influencing the outcome of the game that they're in, I'm totally fine with it. I'm of the mind that Pete Rowe should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't care. Me too. As long as he wasn't gambling on his own team, what does it matter? But again, it gets back to this like, oh, integrity of the game type of argument. It's like, look, baseball, like the integrity of your game is already very low. Like you guys have had cheating throughout the entire history of your game. Like guys used to play fucking drunk, smoking in the dugout, like, womanizing yeah. all kinds of horrible stuff cap anson cap anson he refused to take the field against against black players they still have him in the hall of fame yeah but you refuse to let pete rose in there because he gambled on the game it's like pete rose is arguably in the top four or five baseball players of all time so it's like sure. he, like same thing with barry bonds it's like no you did steroids it's like uh-huh and so did the guys that saved the sport for you after the strike yeah. bud Selig, and you look the other way on the whole thing it's like oh uh, steroids are bad, but yeah, I was also the commissioner who oversaw the whole steroid era, and I like didn't do anything about it. But I'm in the Hall of Fame, so yeah. 
Yeah, as far as uh, the Calvin Ridley situation goes, I think the league has really gotten themselves backed into a corner. Like, they use these umbrella terms, uh, and you talked about the more egregious uh, things, off-the-field things. It's because of these umbrella terms that the, that the sport uses, about, quote-unquote, personal conduct policy. So yep. personal conduct policy could be uh, getting caught with a joint, or it could be you know, beating your wife. And they're put under the same umbrella term. And that's the same situation you have here, where gambling on the game could be throwing a game versus just betting on a game that you weren't even a part of. The NFL is so afraid of a Richard Cood, Hot Rod Williams, uh, Tim Donaghy situation that they yeah. are just going to throw the book at Calvin Ridley, and I think it's completely unfair. Yeah, and, you know, he'll be back in a season. He's still young, so it's not like his career's over, but, you know, it sucks for him. It sucks for Atlanta. And I was going to say, uh, like, you look at what's going on with, like, Deshaun Watson. Like, if the Texans didn't decide to bench him themselves – He'd be playing Absolutely. amid all of the sexual assault allegations. And, you know, like, I, I'm not up to date on, like, where that particular case is or, you know, where it is in the process of the legal system. So I'm not going to, like, overstep on it. But the idea is that, like, this guy would be playing until basically proven guilty because the Players Association would fight for him to do that. So it's just interesting that, like, the Players Association doesn't, have the ability to defend Calvin Ridley in this way. It's like, yeah, okay, you got caught doing it, and maybe that's the thing that is the line of demarcation. It's like, yeah, we actually have proof that you did this, so therefore you have to get the harshest suspension. But, I mean, look at what's going on with Antonio Brown. Like, this guy's a maniac, and he's, like, in the league all the time. Is yeah. it, what, three, four, five chances at this point? No, easily. And and for Calvin Ridley, I think it's almost like he just yeah, I think he did it on like one of the main sites, like in his own name. It's like if he really wanted to be shady and hide it, he would have been shady and hide it. It's just like he didn't really think he was doing anything wrong. And a slap on the wrist for maybe six games short a year, I just think is entirely too much. It's not like he went out there and threw a game that he was a part of. Exactly. Uh, so that's. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And especially when the NFL is trying to line up, uh, I mean, Jamie Foxx. And, you know, he's got a commercial selling me MGM or whatever yeah. it is. And then there was a Holly Berry's in the other one selling me Caesar's Sportsbook commercials. It's like you're selling me gambling every time you go to a commercial break. And, like, you're surprised that one of your players bet a measly $1,500 on it. It's not like he bet his game check on it. You know, it's like, I don't know. It's just it seems like so petty. And I feel bad for Ridley, but he's young. He'll be all right. Yeah, he, he made a stupid decision, but uh, he's definitely getting the uh, feeling the wrath of the league. And like you said, the, the league is in bed with all these with, with FanDuel, with all these Caesar sports books. You see uh, JB Smooth and his commercials. That's the big one that we have here in D.C. Yeah. Um, so the, I mean, I, I host a gambling podcast. I'm all for it. I, like you said, let the players gamble. Why not let them bet on their own team? I like if my team is four and eleven, if my guy's got a hundred thousand dollars riding on the game, maybe he'll actually go out there and try instead of tanking. Right. I mean, like, look at a, I would say when Floyd Mayweather fought Conor McGregor, he bet on himself to win in the 10th round. Oh, he knocks Conor out in the 10th round. Surprise, surprise. It's like, that's not Floyd's fault. <laughs> if he's so in control of the fight that he can end it whenever he wants and bet on himself to do it. Hey, good for him. Yep. So, yeah, I don't think you should be able to bet against your own team. But if you're going to bet on yourselves as underdogs, like, hey, why not? Yeah, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't see a good argument against it other than that. Like, it just it looks dirty. You know, yeah, yeah, which and, and if you feel that way, then why do you have, you know, a, a gambling commercial, you know, every commercial break if you feel like it's so dirty. Right. Uh, so is there is there a bet you like? Have you looked at the odds for who's going to win the Super Bowl yet this year? 
Um, I have uh, I'm, there's a couple of teams that I'm pretty low on. Uh, I think the Bengals are listed at something like uh, plus fifteen hundred. I think you see them take a step back this year. Same thing with the Broncos. I think they're around the same. Uh, I'm not sure if you're going to hate to hear this or love to hear it, but my favorite right now would be your Buffalo Bills. I think they're sitting at about plus 750. I think that would be my favorite bet right now. <laughs> hey, I like that. I mean, they're they're like right there. They're knocking on the door. It's like they got to they got to fix a couple things. Like their coaching staff is young. They have to learn how to be a championship team together, which I actually kind of like. It, the, it's so weird that the fan base is like fire McDermott, fire Frazier, get rid of these guys. Like they're not good. It's like he's in his fifth season. He's brought the team to where they are right now. They've constantly improved every year other than they had a little setback this year, but, you know, still ultimately made the playoffs, got to the Chiefs game where they wanted to get to in that rematch, and they were a game away from playing an AFC title game again and potentially going to the Super Bowl. So people are like, no, that horrible 13-second management at the end of the game, that cost the Bills a Super Bowl. It's like there were still two games before they win a Super Bowl. Yep. You know, that it cost them a home game. For the AFC title game is what it cost them against, hey, a very good Bengals team that I think was plus like 11,000 to start the season last year. So it's like if you were a diehard Bengals fan, you bet on them to make the Super Bowl. Like you had a really nice payout on that one. <laughs> I have a story with that. So I did a uh, we did a draft before the last season started. So basically we went through snake style, me and three buddies, and we picked teams to win the Super Bowl. And whoever won, you had to pay. Everybody had to pay the guy $10 on a $10 bet based on the odds. And the guy that had the Bengals was looking at getting $800 from all three of us. Ooh. So I am really glad that the, <laughs> that the Rams pulled that one out because that was only 140 bucks. And, and the Rams were the first team taken in the draft. So it was hard to feel bad about who you drafted when the first team. I took the Colts second. So that uh, that wasn't too good for me. Yeah, because you're trying to draft a team that's got like good payout odds, right? Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting though. But yeah, I mean, you guys are all sweating, like especially they take the lead in the second half. And you're like, oh yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, paying out 140 was a little bit more stomachable than paying out the 800 I would have had to pay for the Bengals for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, you had mentioned you think the Bengals take a step back. What is what is it about the Bengals that you see them regressing slightly? I mean, they did overachieve, and uh, it's like as a Bills fan, I was like, man, they like how did they do this so quickly? Like they, they made all those free agent signings on defense. Uh, so they got their defense in check. Uh, and then all of a sudden, like Joe Burrow's healthy and he goes in his second year and they're in the Super Bowl. And so for me, I'm like, oh man, did the Bills really just fall all the way to like maybe the third best team in the AFC now? No, I think the Bills are definitely, I think it's still the Bills and the Chiefs for me. Um, you're going to see the Bengals play a first place schedule next year. Um, yeah. They have a tar they have a target on their back now. Um, you always see teams with Super Bowl hangovers. It always happens, specifically to the team that loses the Super Bowl. And yes, sir. To be frank, the Bengals really had quite a bit of luck to get where they were. They easily could have lost every single one of their playoff games. Whether you yes. go with the the ghost whistle against the Raiders or Brian Tannehill just shitting the bed at the end of that game, uh, they very easily could have lost either of those two games. And of course, they're down twenty-one to three at halftime to the Chiefs. Yeah. So. Oh, man. Well, is there is there a particular reason other than the luck you see them regressing? I mean, is it the division that maybe is more challenging for them? I, I, I think it's it's a little bit of everything. It's it's the it's the luck regression. It's the division. Um, the offensive line it hasn't gotten any better. Now, granted, they can still make some free agency and draft moves to improve that. But there's a, it's got to be a complete tear down there. Uh, we saw that rear its ugly head finally in the Super Bowl where that offensive line just couldn't hold up against that Rams pass rush. That was the reason they lost the game. 
I know the fact that they survived a nine sack game against the Titans was, I was just like, there's no way they're going to beat the Titans with that offensive line. Like the Titans are just going to, you know, the Titans pressure every quarterback they've played. That's how they've won. Like all their high profile games is getting after the quarterback and they sack him nine times. And they still like, Oh my God, Tannehill. Like, I don't, I don't understand how they pay that guy the kind of money they pay him to, to shit the bed. Like you said on, on the biggest stage of his career, probably. I, I said on my last podcast that, that you said you, my QB carousel podcast, I thought that was a team that should have traded for Russell Wilson. That would be a yeah. team that could be a Super Bowl contender with Russell Wilson. You trade Ryan Tannehill. I'm sure the Seahawks would have rather gotten back Tannehill than Drew Locke. So if you make that kind of offer, I'm sure they would have taken it. It was just a matter of if Russell Wilson would, would want to go to Tennessee, which I don't see why he wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the Titans ever should have let Corey Davis go, but – like you're really investing in like a 33 year old julio jones who's hurt every single season who was hurt for you for the vast majority of the season so it's like you don't have that guy across from aj brown and then Tannehill got aj brown hurt uh with a bad pass like he just like he let him too much and just I don't know, he busted his hand and then like hurt his chest later in that same game so he was out for a while yep. but yeah like if you if you want to maximize Tannehill and the contract that you have for him like Say they let Jonu Smith go, so it's like, all right, well, there goes like your tight end passing game. Then you let Corey Davis go, so it's like, all right, well, now we're just going to triple team Brown, and you guys got to hope that you can win with Henry and defense alone, which like is good enough to beat a lot of teams. But at the end of the day, like you're going to play some complete teams, and you're going to end up being one dimensional, and uh, that's exactly what happened to him. Yep, it was. It was unfortunate too. I, like I said, I was um I was pulling heavy for the Titans in that one because I, I had my eyes on that on that Super Bowl bet the whole way, and I was like, man, if the Bengals get there, I'm in trouble. <laughs> they just kept pulling them out week after week after week. Luckily, they uh they finally didn't at the end. But as far as the Titans go, I I just I don't see why they're they're moving forward with Tannehill. You saw the Colts move on from Wentz maybe a year too early, but it's ultimately probably going to be the right move because he's not necessarily going to get that team where they want to go. I think the Titans are good enough to make the Super Bowl, and I, don't, I just don't think Tannehill is the quarterback that's going to take them there. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, he's, you know, he's serviceable, and I think when they got him on that cheap deal out of Miami, there was almost like, oh, wow, like Ryan Tannehill, like at his highest level, is actually the kind of guy that Miami – thought that they were getting when they right. picked him in the first place so then all of a sudden i think the titans just felt pressure to like sign him and not let him get away because his stock had gone up so much getting out of a bad situation in miami so it's like they had to pay him reasonably well but yeah he's he's not the guy to take them over the hump uh but one last thing before we get out of here one of the biggest names on the market in terms of moves is christian mccaffrey and potentially him moving I, I know a lot of people like want him with the bills to get him and i'm like i don't see how the bills get him the bills are way over uh the salary cap i think they may have just gotten under by releasing feliciano but today it comes out that they signed jake kumaro and it's like cool like that's that's an important signing right there uh i, I mean i love touchdown jesus but at the same time like he's not a priority no offense kumaro uh but like the the kind of move that the Bills would have to make to make McCaffrey work just seems drastic, and he's such a big part of what Carolina does. Like, what is Carolina going to ask back for him? It's like we want your firstborn child, your first round draft pick for the next three seasons, and a running back because we're going to need one. Yeah, I think um, the, the move that makes most sense for Carolina, um, obviously they're one of the big names in the Deshaun Watson rumors. Uh, Christian McCaffrey and maybe a pick or maybe just Watson from McCaffrey straight up. Obviously 
the Texans are ready to move forward with Davis Mills. I think they find a diamond in the rough there. Uh, you got a guy like Brandon Cooks. You throw Christian McCaffrey in there. They're in a pretty bad division in the AFC South. Uh, the Texans could possibly make some noise with a guy like McCaffrey. Yeah, you like Davis Mills? I do. I do. Um, we actually did a redraft of the 2021 draft on one of my podcasts, and I ended up taking Davis Mills late in the first round. So I'm, okay. I'm very high on Davis Mills. I think he is going to be a solid starter. There was there was a game early, like maybe his first or second start. I don't remember which one it was, but like the first drive of the game, I'm like, all right, this kid looks great. And then they end up only scoring a touchdown on that first drive and they lose. Yeah. But I will say that as a longtime fan of Tyrod Taylor, man, I feel bad for him. Yeah. But if you're a team that is looking for your franchise quarterback, <laughs> you need to go sign Tyrod Taylor on a one year deal right now because he will be the guy to find you your new franchise guy. Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield. Justin Herbert, Davis Mills, like uh, Tyrod's still in the league. I wouldn't mind him even coming back and being the Bills backup, but like at this point, I would just be like, all right, well, if we have Tyrod Taylor, we're going to find our rookie quarterback and he's going to be our guy. It's happened four teams in a row. So go, go offer Tyrod some money and find your guy. It's almost unbelievable. Like if you wrote that into a movie script, they'd be like, oh no, we can't do that. There's no, no way that this guy really got a shot got an injection from a team doctor and it made him miss the game. And then this kid comes in and then it's already happened to him twice before. There's no way anybody's going to believe that we can't write that in, but it's stranger than fiction, man. Tyrod Taylor, Anthony Lynn's over there, like leaning on the doctor's shoulders, like make sure you stab him in the (laughs) lung because I need a reason to start Herbert. And I promise Tyrod that we're going to give him his job back because Anthony Lynn knew Tyrod from being the running backs coach uh, in Buffalo a couple years prior to his stint in, uh, San Diego at the time so it's like they had a relationship so I get that he didn't want to take that job away from him but it's like Justin Herbert touched the field and it was like yeah Tyrod you're not getting your job back man like this kid yeah Herbert's great uh it was funny the first game of the season this past season uh like I was talking to some Chargers fans and they were like Justin Herbert is the best quarterback in the league he had the best first week of the season like he's the easily the best quarterback on on the any field and I'm just like really I was like didn't he throw like a interception like in the fourth quarter at the goal line and like they almost lost that game like they're like yeah well you didn't watch the game i'm like yeah but like if if he if they end up losing that game on the interception are you having the same conversation about how great of a game that he had like i don't think so but he did end up by the end of the season showing that like his second year leap was pretty damn good i expect the third year to keep him in that same category i think they just re-signed mike williams to a long-term deal they did did. they're, they're gonna throw the ball downfield uh keenan allen is still one of the most capable hands and route runners in the league out there uh it's going to be really like keeping eckler healthy keeping the defense competitive and just you know learning to be a a winning franchise which is not always the easiest thing to do i felt that that game where the chargers played the chiefs uh, with the division on the line in LA, I think it was a Thursday night, night football yep. Thursday night game. Yeah. Yep. And I was like, man, they played like fast and loose with the, with the division on the line. Like they were too good for it. And I was yeah. like, uh, it's going to come back and bite them in the ass. And then you know, lo and behold, they don't make the playoffs. And I'm like, that's the game. The division was yours. And you just, you know, you didn't treat it with any respect. You kept going for it on fourth down. Like when you yep. have the chiefs on the ropes, their offense wasn't doing anything. Just like, kick field goals and like get it to a three score game and it's over but you just let it like hang at 10 points 11 points and the chiefs are too good to play around with like that yeah and you have to expect some uh, some kind of uh regression to the mean with the chargers they lost so many games like that 
the one thing you mentioned about the second year leap with Herbert, I think that's the most important thing because if a quarterback doesn't make that leap in year two, usually it's in year two, sometimes in year three, it hardly ever happens after that, which is why that I'm like guys like Daniel Jones, you see like, oh, maybe he'll make the leap this year. Maybe he'll make the leap this year. If they don't make it by year two, year three, they're not going to make it. So at least they have that in their pocket. Justin Herbert's probably the third quarterback you'd want to have in the AFC after Mahomes and Allen. So at least they got, they got that going for them. Moving forward, they should be a perennial playoff team. Yeah, you had mentioned the, the second and third year leap. So I'll, I'll transition to something that you were talking about on the last show that I was listening to with your co-host, who is still big on Baker Mayfield. Uh, <laughs> so you're talking about second and third year leap. And like, I think Baker had his best season in his rookie year. I don't know he that did. he's, I don't know that he he's did. come close to being that good since. And like, yeah, he dealt with a lot of injuries. But they brought in weapons. They just paid uh, Njoku, I think, a ton of money to stay around. But they don't really, like, throw to the tight end the way that you would think to pay a tight end $10 million. Uh, I think they have Austin Hooper there as well. So it's like they have the identity to be, uh, like, a two-tight end set passing play action, kind of like what Seattle used to do with the Marshawn Lynch era. Like, we're going to load up with a bunch of tight ends, kind of, like, have one good receiver with a, a bunch of guys that, like, don't really have stock. And we're going to let Baker move around and like make plays downfield. But it seems like he still makes that mistake late in games. He made yeah. the same mistake against the Chiefs early this season where they were winning at the end of that game that he made in the prior game where they had the opportunity to win with Mahomes out in the playoffs. Same mistake in the fourth quarter throws that bad interception. So it's like, I just, I haven't seen him progress at all like it's yeah. like he, he's plateaued and he's not bad like he's not nearly no. as bad as some people want to make him out to be but i, I like I, I don't i don't see what cleveland does like in the current situation they're in yeah well you saw odell beckham jr you know he wanted out he got out and all of a sudden it's like look i'm still good it was the quarterback the whole time that odell beckham jr's success with the rams really was a bad look for baker Mayfield. yeah it sure was i mean they they have the running game they have the defense and I mean, they can draft like speed at receiver and they have like some good hands receivers. Uh, Higgins is not bad. Uh, Landry's obviously a, a well-established commodity in this league. And, Donovan Peoples-Jones is half yeah. decent. Yeah. So it's like they, they have like, I think enough of the pieces in place, but if Baker Mayfield doesn't succeed this year, like if they don't win the division this year or like have a reasonable record and make the playoffs, like, what do you do if you're Cleveland? You have to move on. I, I don't yeah. think there's any doubt about that. Uh, they have to decide on his fifth-year option, I believe, next season. So, you know, where do you go from there? If he, you know, shits the bed again, you have all this talent around him. You have, like, as you said, the running game. You have the defense. All you need is your first overall pick quarterback to play like a first overall pick quarterback. And he just has not, since his rookie season, has not shown the capability of doing that. Yeah, and he's not he's not that pricey yet, so it's uh, enabled them to field like a, a good enough team around him. But you go from being a ten win team to missing the playoffs in a division that wasn't necessarily stacked. It was way easier this year than it was the year before when you actually were competitive and won a first round playoff game against a team that's had your number for a decade, maybe even twenty yep. years. Like I thought that they were in a good position to make a move beyond where they were. Uh, I liked what Stefanski had done. And, you know, it, it sucks because as, as a Bills fan, like I know the struggle of like being bad for a long period of time. And I know how much that hurts and like how good it feels to like get out of the darkness and like have a playoff appearance and have a playoff win and like what that means to Cleveland as a franchise. 
so I, I do wish them the best of luck uh but it is going to be tough if baker doesn't come back from his shoulder issues with much success this season no doubt about that um i'm not sure how much time you have left but i, I have to get back upstairs for cool no worries man shortly. uh <laughs> yeah i appreciate your time uh probably went a little bit over there but uh yeah we got more than enough sure so so thanks uh you want to shout anything out while you're here i'll definitely put uh I'll put your stuff up in the show notes and I'll make sure I tag you when we put this up, but you want to promote anything while you're here? Uh, just uh, check me out on the Let It Ride podcast. You can also find me uh, uh, as a host on the Rave On Sports app. Uh, if you like college basketball, we're doing a lot of that there as well. So the Let It Ride podcast and the Rave On Sports app, uh, you can find me on either of those. Cool. That's Jeff Hooks joining us today. So uh, thanks again for your time. I appreciate it. We'll work together again in the future. Uh, have a good one, man. You too, Nick. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Of course. Take care. You too. That was going to do it for uh, what we'll call the Let It Shiest podcast. But while we were recording, the Bears and the Chargers finalized a deal to ship Khalil Mack to Los Angeles in exchange for a 2022 second round pick and a 2023 sixth rounder. And that's a steal. Uh, Mac is only 31. He did have some injury issues this past season. But to be able to acquire an elite edge rusher like him to complement Joey Bosa on the other side is a huge win for the Chargers. I think in direct response to what they saw happen with Denver and the always looming challenge of the Chiefs. Uh, it's a great deal for them, bad for the Bears, but it's going to be an interesting uh, Monday once free agency hits because that is when agents can officially start entertaining offers for players, so I wouldn't be surprised to see some more blockbuster trades come down over the weekend with free agency looming. But, you know, we'll get to that another time. Maybe we'll do a show next week and see what happens on those first few days of free agency. But anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks to Jeff for stopping by. You can make sure to check out his podcast, Let It Ride Podcast. Uh, it's good stuff. I was listening to it today. So until next time, take care, everybody. Thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to the episode. I still believe that word of mouth is the best way to help, so if you enjoyed it, please tell somebody. But liking, subscribing, and sharing go a long way, too. This show is an extension of thescheiss.com, and you can contact me at info at or at Podcast on Twitter. And until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Bills. Bills.